Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Welcome to this episode of Growth Island. My name is Masfries and today I got the pleasure of interviewing Helena Warbeck. She's the Director of Research at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And if you're not a native speaker, you probably don't know what noetic means, but we're going to talk more about that. She's also an assistant professor at the Department of Neurology at the Oregon Health and Science University. And she's the president of something I have a hard time pronouncing, but I'll do the best with my Danish <laughs> accent. The Parapsychological Association. She's doing a ton of research in something called channeling. She also wrote a book on channeling and she actually wrote several different books. And it's something that I find extremely fascinating. What is intuition? Are there people that can kind of uh, fill into uh, different experiences or different events and so on? And we're going to learn about that today. So, Helena, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with you today. I'm excited to talk about this topic with your audience. So, starting off, what is what does noetic mean and what is channeling? Noetic means inner wisdom, and it comes from the Greek word that means noesis. So, the Institute of Noetic Sciences is really about exploring this inner wisdom, what some people might call intuition. And within that um, is this term called channeling. So some of you may have heard that term and some of you may not have. And people have ascribed various meanings to that word channeling. I use a really broad definition for channeling, which is essentially this ability to access information and energy from beyond the conventional notions of time and space that can appear expressive and receptive. And we can tease those pieces apart a little bit, but essentially it is happens on a spectrum from gut hunches, intuition that, you know, pretty much everyone could say that they've experienced in their life all the way up to very rare channeling experiences like mediumship and trance channeling and everything in between. What does that mean? Intro. Yes. Fantastic. So channeling is that so I think some people might have these misconceptions or ideas or they heard about someone went missing, missing a homicide or someone else. Is that the same that someone can be channeling and figuring out where that person is? And sometimes these people like a a person could like tell the CIA or the police like, I think this person is here and here. Is that part of channeling? Yes, it is. There is a type of channeling. Um, called remote viewing or clairvoyance. And that has very um, practical applications. In fact, there was a 20-year military program where soldiers were taught how to do this remote viewing skill and were able to gain information from halfway across the world and use it for military operations. In the same way, there are people who have these abilities that work with police, uh, like you said, CIA, FBI, they don't necessarily, um, 
you know, share this out in the open that they use, you know, psychics or remote viewers, etc. And yet, you know, it is a teachable skill, this remote viewing. Got it. How did you get into this? So you read in a little bit in my bio about my academic background. I also have a, a deep personal background in channeling. I have um, personal experiences from my mother's side, my grandparents, my mother, all of her brothers and sisters have these capacities. And we would have meetings as a child at my grandparents' house every weekend where my uncle would go into a trance channeling state and people would sit there and have conversations, etc. I had my own personal experiences with it also, very intuitive, picking up on things, synchronicities, um, you know, feeling goosebumps in my body when I was making a decision and, you know, goosebump would come up where I was thinking about one choice versus another choice. You know, I really support this notion that everyone has this ability to channel, but that the way it shows up for them is unique to them. So as a child, mine was very in my body. I would like get these goosebumps or feel like a, a clenching in my stomach if that wasn't the right way to go and more of an opening if it was. And then through trial and error, if I followed that, things would open up, they'd become easier, there'd be opportunities. So that's kind of my personal background. When I was at Oregon Health and Science University, I was doing research on meditation. And even in meditation, which you might think is a little bit fringe in academia, which it was at the time when I first started, believe it or not. And you know, I couldn't really talk about these topics, even though I would still get intuitive hits about the work that I was doing. And I was invited to go to IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, for a meditation researcher meeting where we were talking about, you know, how do we expand meditation research to include these more esoteric topics? And I was completely blown away that IONS could ask these research questions that were so fringe and do rigorous research on it. And then I ended up being able to join the team. And here I am six years later. That is fascinating. And that's also one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on because um, I love to figure out there's so much we don't know in the world. And like you said, meditation, and I talk about that in many of the episodes, like we used to think that was like crazy, like you had to be out there and like there was no way the brain could change. And now we know that the brain can actually physically change because we know how to measure differently. So I'm always fascinated about what is that next subject that we right now is laughing off or saying people are crazy because we don't have the Western science to back it up, but that we are actually at the forefront of trying to figure out how can we measure it? How can we figure out like, is this uh, something where someone has been drunk coming up with something or is it, is it actually something real, right? Which is so hard. So how do you, how do you do research on this? That's a big question. I want to touch on that, but also a little bit about what you just said, because what a lot of people don't know is there is quite a bit of evidence already for these different phenomenon. And because of the taboos, there's so many taboos about this topic that 
people aren't educated about the research that's actually been done. So you were kind of joking about the parapsychological association not being able to pronounce that. So parapsychology is a field that's been around for over 150 years. And so within that field, people have been doing research on these topics for that long. And so did you know that? That there's actually been 150 years of research on these topics? No, not a lot of people know that because of the fear of being called crazy. And why is it crazy to imagine that I might have mental impressions from a relative who lives in another state? Why is it crazy to think that, right? So right now, our dominant scientific paradigm is something called materialism or physicalism, which means that the only thing that is real, if you will, is what's physical, what's material. And things that are not material don't exist, right? So that everything that we experience in our reality can be explained through uh, material aspects or the movement of them. Now, when you imagine being able to get a mental impression from your relative who's in the next state, there's no material way that you can think of for how that would happen, right? So then the skeptic says, well, that's just impossible because it doesn't fit within the way that we believe the world works. And so they discount it as you being crazy or hallucinating or having delusions, etc. So at this point, it is so incredibly clear. We have so much evidence. We've replicated this in laboratory studies. We see it in daily life. It's a very clear, valid phenomenon that people have these experiences. And can I just and jump so in? let me just say one more thing. Yeah. So our paradigm for how the world works is what is shifting Got to it. be able to hold these phenomena. So just to understand, like in words that I are concepts that me and the listeners might understand better. Uh, some people talk about the quantum field. And when you said materialistic world, is that similar or like, have you heard about people like uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza or similar people talk about the quantum field? Are these things related or are those like totally different? They are related. And that is, um, you know, quantum physics and this concept of entanglement have gone a long way to help shifting the paradigm because, you know, you look at quantum physics and this entanglement. Do you know what entanglement is? Please elaborate. So entanglement is um, I'm going to try to explain it simply. So imagine we have two photons and we entangle them in some way and we take one photon and take it to the other side of the world. Those two photons characteristics are entangled, which means if I move, if I change the spin of photon B, photon A will instantaneously change its spin in the same way. Now, materialistic, you know, classical physics can't explain that because it's, you know, let's say it's 10,000 miles away from each other. It would take time for any sort of force, material force, to travel from one photon to the next photon. But that's not what we're seeing. It's actually happening instantaneously. 
So there's this interconnectedness, if you will, that goes beyond what we understand in classical physics. So like I mentioned before, we're really straddling these two paradigms between materialism, which says entangled photons are impossible, which is ridiculous because we've shown over and over again in the lab that photons can be entangled and even a, small diamonds can be entangled. I have a friend as well who was one of the first to do research on um, the microbiome um, and then on DNA and now he's into water and he was he hasn't told me the full story but almost pushed out of the university for now doing this crazy stuff with water and uh, now he's back again with new research funds where they're kind of starting to accept some of the things that cannot be explained he has this experiment called the water bridge where people have to come see it and we can't explain like with our current understanding so it is, it is fascinating and interesting and that's also why i love to have someone like you on the show is how can we learn more about these things? What is the next meditation, so to say, that people like 20 years ago were laughing off, but that right. we are now starting to understand? And for me personally, so, so this is a very new topic, but um, what I'm starting to get more interested in is energy. That is something that we can't quantify, but most of us have had that experience of someone coming into a room and the energy changed. So that's something that's very easy for, like, for someone like me to like, okay, I've had a, I've had a physical experience um, but so let's, let's go a bit more into the neotic. Do I say it right? Noetic. Noetic. And, uh, and the research that are actually being done where we are starting to not only have some people feel it, but we can quantify it in a way that Western people have a hard time uh, rejecting. Absolutely. Um, you know, one really common experience that people have is the sense of being stared at. So imagine you're sitting in a cafe you're sitting there, you know, doing your homework or doing some work. And then all of a sudden you turn around and someone's staring at you. So have you experienced that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very, you know, most people have had that happen to them. Why would you feel someone staring at you? Right. There's no materialistic reason for that. So there have been a number of formal studies looking at that, where in the laboratory, people can tell when they're being stared at even if the person's being stared at through a closed circuit tv mm-hmm. or even through you know those one-way uh glass so that's just one example of a protocol that's been rigorously studied in the laboratory of a in, of a um channeling experience that people also have in everyday life fascinating what are other studies that has been done There have been a whole, I talked about remote viewing. So there have been many, many, many studies on remote viewing, including using it to predict the stock market. There have been a number of studies of people actually using it to um, predict which way the stock market, futures, uh, sport games are going to go, and then actually making money on it. Remote viewing has been used for archaeological digs to find, um, you know, archaeological sites that we're not able to find through, you know, using machines, etc. Helen, I just got to jump into ask. So you said with sports and casinos and so on. And I know the critics sitting out there's going to be like, but how did how was that studies done? Because some people might think they have that ability. 
but then it's a matter of enough people thinking it and some of them are going to be right by chance. So how was that done? Did you have like 10 people that you gather and then you could see they were all able to actually do it again and again or how was that? There have been many studies done on this actually and the most commonly used protocol is called associated remote viewing, associative remote viewing, ARV. And it's quite a fascinating protocol. You have the remote viewer and then you have a manager. The, the manager gives the remote viewer usually like a six digit number. And that is what the remote viewer tunes into, if you will. They tune into that number and then they write down all of the impressions that they get for that number. Meanwhile, the manager has connected that six digit number with two pictures. One picture represents the stock market going up and the other picture represents the stock market going down. Let's say the up picture has like a huge red balloon on it and the down picture has, I don't know, more blues, like let's call it a crowd of people with a lot of blues in it. So then the remote viewer turns in their impressions. And if there's a lot of red, round, you know, um, descriptor words, then the manager is going to be more inclined to put the bet on the stock market going up. Now, usually the manager is not just working with one remote viewer, they're working with many remote viewers. And so let's say there's 10 remote viewers. If all of the remote viewers give impressions of red and round, that's going to be a very strong indication of the stock market to go up. So I know that's a long kind of description of the protocol, but that's how the um, how it works. And so there have been numerous studies where they, you know, collect all the different trades that they've done over time. And the majority of them beyond chance are winning trades. So you're asking about, you know, statistics and chance, etc. So is it 100%? No, it's not 100%. But it's definitely beyond what we would expect by chance, which would be a 50 50. So, so I can <clears throat> share those references for your audience if you want the links to those so you can get really deep into the methods about it. That would be fantastic because I know it's something that the audience love to look into, um, especially the more controversial the subject is. Uh, we often say the more uh, evidence you need to prove it. So for example, something as grounding, grounding, like where you just go out, take your shoes off. We're starting to see good results that you actually feel better. There's something about the electric current in the body has a natural one. And then with all the electricity and things around it, it changes. And we can see when people go out, just take their shoes off and stand in the grass. The, the current is supposed to be more aligned with the earth and we can see inflammation lowers. So we are starting to see more and more studies are still in the lower end and they're not published in the biggest magazines and so on. But at least both people feel it and we're starting to get uh, more papers on it. So that's fantastic to actually be able to see that and, and people that are more curious can go down the rabbit hole. Absolutely. Speaking of health, another application of channeling is energy healing. Have you heard of energy medicine like Reiki, um, therapeutic touch, etc.? Yes. 
Yes. So, you know, there have been a number of studies looking at positive healing intention for improving people's health, for improving, um, you know, these studies have been done with cells in vitro. They've been done in animals, in plants, that when we direct our positive healing intention towards something, we see improvements, again, beyond chance. The effects are small. It's like around 0.2. So it's not like this huge effect, but we would expect it to be zero of just directing our intention. And that's just positive intention. But then we look at those energy medicine modalities like Reiki, um, and you know there have now been enough studies where people have done systematic reviews and meta-analyses and we're consistently seeing positive benefit over control groups in various outcomes. Um, some of them include pain, uh, quality of life, improved sleep, and uh, most of the most the most commonly studied are pain people with pain and also cancer patients have been studied in this. We just finished a study on Reiki with four different populations group groups. They had either had to have depression, anxiety, acute injury, or memory impairment. And we and saw quickly, improvements after a thir one 30 minute session. And quickly for people that don't know what Reiki is. It is an energy modality. It is um, an Asian modality. They believe that there is a universal life energy that is innately wise and that the Reiki practitioner essentially directs their hands to different parts of the body and that that uh, universal life force energy will move to where it needs to in the body and either stimulate or um, calm down different aspects of the body to bring the person to optimal health. Got it. And the results that you saw, like how big was the sample size and, and so on? This last study we did, it was a small study. There were only 40 people in it and it was one 30 minute session. And we saw uh, very significant improvements in our primary outcome, which was a well-being scale called the Arizona Integrative Outcome Scale. And we used that because we wanted to see how Reiki affected multiple different types of um, symptoms, and we chose one outcome that was common across all of them. Got it. This what study was uncontrolled. I just want to say it was an uncontrolled study, but there have been lots of other studies that have been uh, controlled, randomized, including um, placebo sham practitioners who pretend they're giving a session but aren't really giving a session and still seeing positive improvements. Fascinating. I would love if you have the one with the placebo sham, um, if you could share that uh, study as well because i have a friend that looked into it and he talked to a girl he was very skeptical and she was very convinced and i know he is very curious when uh, he likes to read studies so if ever i can show him a study he'll probably be a little bit annoyed but he'll be curious to read it and uh, and actually see like okay what is that because he's interested in that um, and i think there's a lot of things that we're not going to be able to prove the next 10 20 years that are still working for us so it's also figuring out like what works for you um, but still be curious about how can we push the science.
What are some other ways that we can use this to live a better life or increase our quality of life? There's um, one thing I'd like to share with you is a term that we use called the noetic signature. So I talked about channeling and talked about how I'm proposing that everyone has the capacity to do this just by being human, right? But the way that it shows up for us is unique. So the way that you get your intuitive hits is different from mine, different from many of the people in the audience. And so the noetic signature program, we basically went through multiple different studies to create a 44 item inventory where people take this 44 item questionnaire and then they discover what their noetic signature looks like across 12 different characteristics. Things like getting it in dreams, feeling it in your body, feeling through your emotions, um, knowing the future, uh, knowing through touch. So we had these 12 different characteristics. So I think when people become open and curious about their own intuition and how it shows up for them, that they can use that as a tool. In our society today, we're very externally focused. We're bombarded by you know, so much information all the time. And being able to cultivate the ability to use our inner wisdom, our inner knowing can help people reduce stress, especially about decision-making, about you know, just their own best next right action for themselves to be their most optimal self. Yeah. So Helena, something I find really interesting and kind of Um, a paradox, not necessarily a paradox, but something when it comes to science, that we have such a, um, the paradigm right now, the Western paradigm seems to be the dominant paradigm, at least where we are in the, where I am in the world. So for example, I, um, when we talk about intuition, which I think is so fascinating because you have so many of the top executives and so on, they say they're very logical, but often they end up taking a decision based on their gut feeling. And we are now also know that the gut microbiome has such a huge impact on how we are feeling and how we are thinking. So that we might, in like, that's one of the things I want to see in the next 10, next 10, 20 years. How much do we believe comes from the, from the brain? How much do we believe comes from the gut microbiome? How much of our decision-making and thoughts comes from the heart? Um, so so that I really want to learn more about it. Um, but when we look at the paradigm, that's kind of the dominant paradigm. I had someone called uh, Dr. Clip. Chorsky, I can't pronounce his name properly, but uh, he has done research in behavioral science, just like uh, Kahneman, who won a Nobel Prize on uh, behavioral uh, science. And also he, the title was why you should never trust your gut. So he had done a lot of research as well, saying like why making decisions based on your gut was the wrong thing. And, but now we're talking about intuition actually being the right thing and that we are starting to have uh, more science coming out showing that. Why are these uh, two, are, they, are these paradigms clashing or is it because um, they're talking about different things? And I'm going to give a half answer before uh, you get the chance because my thoughts are, um, I believe that there's something about intuition, but if our gut microbiome and other things are not aligned and are really sick, then our intuition is also going to be off. Where if we can manage to align them better, then our intuition is probably going to be better. But that's my 
brief kind of uh, guess or hypothesis so far on how these paradigms can potentially both be a bit right. Um, but what's, what's your take on that? That's a wonderful question and a big topic. You know, at IONS, we have this guiding premise that we're all interconnected, right? And that's just not just humans. So that would include being interconnected with the biome in your gut. And that perhaps consciousness, this new paradigm is that consciousness is fundamental, that it permeates and is everything. And that these gut biome probably have their own type of consciousness as well that we might be able to tune into. I kind of hear what that person was saying though about don't trust your gut because there are nuances in terms of our nervous system. If you're in a sympathetic response, like a, a fight or flight response, and you haven't done a lot of work to get clear on your mental process and your motivations, and you have unconscious, unhealthy patterns that are driving you, then in that situation, perhaps listening to your gut may not actually be your inner wisdom. So I know we really like having black or white answers, and yet usually things are very nuanced. It's a process. It's this incremental baby step learning. And so I invite people to really be on this process of discovering what their intuition looks like how does it show up doing this day by day by day so that you can learn well can i actually trust my gut maybe if i'm relaxed i'm rested i've had good sleep i've eaten well that my gut gives me clear answers whereas if it's on a decision i'm super invested in that i have an emotional charge to and people are pressuring me then my gut's not actually my inner wisdom it's giving me some other signal so how do we train ourselves to know the difference that's actually one of the most common questions i get is around that's like well how can i trust the information i receive from myself how do i do that so how do we do that practice that's the simplest answer practice trial and error I invite people just to commit, even if it's five minutes a day, to just sit quietly, to set the intention to listen to that inner wisdom, perhaps ask a yes or no question, and then wait, listen, see what kind of feedback you get. And it's nice when you do this about decisions in your life, even if it's micro decisions, because once you start playing with your intuitive faculty and let's say your intuitive says do this and then you do it and then things feel easier and some opportunity opens up and you're like wow that was great and you do it again and you make a choice but you're banging your head against the wall it doesn't feel like it's working it's like takes all this energy you're stressed out oh, okay maybe that wasn't the right way let me tune in again and see what i get so again it's not a black white it is this continual 
learning, this continual process, commitment, intention, and above all, love and kindness towards ourselves in that process. Instead of being all judgmental and critical, I didn't do it right, you know, I screwed up, I'm never going to get this. It's just really being that compassion, compassionate um, person to ourselves and um, allowing ourselves to be in that process. Got it. Would you now my... Um structured mind going and like doing experiments and so on would you write down um, what kind of situation you took a, a decision based on your gut how you were feeling how secure you felt about it to get closer and closer at being better at your gut or would you just and then have the kind of statistics on saying like these kind of decisions i'm amazing at taking a decision based on my gut these decisions i might have some luggage uh, when it comes to love from my parents or other people who are people often like have a gut feeling that might not be true, but it might be their own luggage. Or how would you like, just like when you have a coach that kind of gives you feedback or you record like how you're striking or how are you lifting and how you're getting stronger? Or would you keep it more just to like that, that feeling in the body? I think journaling is an incredible tool. And so if that's something that supports you, I would wholeheartedly um, support that too, to take notes, right? How it's going, you know? If it sounds like you're very analytically minded, so you might appreciate having a chart and, you know, writing out your decision and how it went and coming up with metrics on your confidence level or on your on the tuition and then seeing how it shows up for your own citizen science experiment for yourself. Cool. Because I think that's also when um, I talked to a clip about it, because when he did his research, he would look at the amount of decisions, how confident people thought they were about it, and whether that turned out to be consistently right. But I think that's again like the challenge when you do science, is like how do you cut it? Uh, who yeah. do you ask? What is it? That's why like I believe there's there's probably an answer in the middle. As I'm pointing to like there might be situations where you're really good at making good decisions, so you can get better, and there are other decisions why whether it's physiologically or psychological with different things where you got decision might Absolutely. be a bit different right and it's, i think it's if you want to use it in a powerful way you need to figure out when it's really serving you and when you need to go back on working on something whether it's your my gut microbiome or whether it's like trauma with your family or something else that happened right right, right. absolutely yeah i know that's true for myself so if i have an emotional attachment to what i want the outcome to be it's a lot more difficult for me to be very clear and and um intuitive about my choice without my ego kind of getting in the way and say no no we want this this answer <laughs> how do you deal how like how do you deal with that let's say you one is one of the last times that you have a situation where you were feeling uh, your intuition i'm invited quite a bit to go um travel you know so there was a there was a conference that uh was happening in europe and um, I really, really wanted to go to that conference. And I just kept getting the feeling that it probably wasn't the wisest thing for me to do. And um, I signed up for it. I booked my airline ticket and I was like, I'm gonna go. And I said, okay, I really need to, but I kept getting that intuitive feeling that it's not wise to go. And so, um, 
I finally said, okay, I need to sit with this. So I, you know, got into my meditative state, my channeling state and tuned in. And it was just so incredibly clear that it was not in my highest and best to go to this conference. So I was like, okay. So personally, I've done this for decades. So I feel a great sense of trust in that. And I didn't fight it. And I trusted that. Um, I trusted that information and canceled my ticket, told the organizers, and um, I feel really good and clear about that decision. So that's just a simple example. So like deep breath, sitting with it and trying to just be like relaxed. So it's actually your, uh, your proper intuition coming out and not all the noise around you. That's one of the exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah. Sense. In my book, I have a whole chapter on how to how to practice channeling, and it includes that, you know, getting into that place of stillness. And I have a bunch of different methods in there for people to practice with. Yeah, I've heard stories, uh, not confirmed stories, that uh, many CEOs or people very high up make decisions very much based on the intuition. And some also have psyches or other people help them make decisions, but they can't go out and say this publicly because um, that's not going to fly with investors and so on. Do you have any knowledge about that or experiences with that where you, of course, can't reveal the identities or anything else? That's a great question. Actually, we have a program at IONS called Noetic Leadership that our CEO, Claire Lachance, leads. And one of the things we wanted to do is uh, invite them to take the noetic signature inventory of, you know, many CEOs at multiple countries around the world and actually be able to look at exactly your question. Do they use their intuition? How does their, the amount that they use that correlate with the success of the company? Um, I'm not in the, you know, kind of business consulting field, if you will. So, but just peripherally, I've, I've heard different um, comments to that effect as well. You know, I forget who major leader is like, they, they made themselves sit for an hour a day, just in meditation. And that's where some of their most creative strategic ideas came through. We definitely see meditation has been uh, winning over uh, many skeptical people as well. I read Tim Ferriss books where you have some of the best performers in the world within different aspects. And I think 80% of them, something like that, were doing some kind of mindfulness. Many yeah. people do meditation. I've been meditating for a few years now. And now I started trying to practice Qigong, which is very new, but which is also a form of energy. I'm not sure if you know it, but mm -hmm. we do these different very slow mo movements. And it feels for me as a form of meditation, this mindfulness, but where um, it's easier just to focus on the body and the breath. Mm -hmm. So it's, but I'm guessing that that's also a way to get better at intuition and channeling, having that stillness and just being in the body and feeling it. Is that correct? Yeah, we did a study with over 500 people where we asked them about their noetic experiences, how they received, how they expressed. And one of the you know more common things that people talked about is how they engaged, like what tools did they use to get into that state, meditation, yoga, you know, these energy movements, um, being in nature, um, various rituals. There were so many 
different what we called ways of engagement or paths that would allow people to get into this connected, integrative, intuitive state for them to be able to access the information or energy that they wanted. You and it's different for everybody. Yeah. Some people like movement, some people want stillness, etc. It's very, it's variable. Yeah. You mentioned nature, which is fascinating as well. And again, I feel in Europe and probably in the US, it's like, it's very boxed. Like we have our little way of how things are and that's the right way and everyone else is wrong, right? But the Japanese have been doing research into biophilia, like the love of nature and how we're feeling better when we're in nature. Now the Western world is catching more up to seeing like, wow, people feel better by being around trees and being out in nature and so on. Um, and many people also feel it intuitively. So it, it's, it's it seems like common sense, right? But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I, I think it seems like common sense. I think hopefully there is some big um, monetary interest from the pharma companies as well to to to, uh, to just uh, help with symptoms instead of the root causes. Um, but luckily, there is more uh, research breaking through and, and, and people experiencing that being in nature and stillness and social connections and being more in tune instead of just electronics all around us probably have a good effect. Yes. Unfortunately, you can't patent nature, right? So exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if we if we could, there probably would be a big shift around that. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't need to get into the politics of it all. But no, but it's such a I had another guy on who was a, a emeritus professor, I think. Um, but at least professor for many years at uh, the Southern University, the California Southern University was USC or something like that. So one of the very recognized universities and he uh, was working on depression and he was like, we need something better. Like this is not working well enough. We need to try something else. So he wanted to look into psychedelics mm -hmm. and he uh, got it approved to do research on ketamine and it was showing amazing results and he wanted to go deeper into that. But one of the challenges was that it was a generic drug by then. So there was no money to be made. And then right. I think it was Johnson Johnson that afterwards made a, a spray because they could patent the delivery mechanism. Right. Uh, but it was not as efficient. Uh, but it was getting out to more people because they could market it and there's the money behind it, right? Then it's, it's such a shame with so many things that are more nature-based or something that's a generic that can actually have a positive impact that is just not getting out there. Absolutely. Yeah, ketamine's also really, there's a ketamine-assisted therapy that's, been showing really remarkable results for post-traumatic stress disorder too. Yeah. The other fascinating thing about your comments is I think in Western culture, we've really been trained to want the magic bullet, you know, to just have this quick fix, myself included. Like I would love to just take a pill that fixes everything, right? And yet what my experience is all of these um, things we're talking about are very nuanced. They're not black and white. There's not like just the one size fits all. It's very individualized. And so our culture is not great about being patient and thorough and process oriented to, to get into this. It's like, no, no, I just want you to fix me. It's like, okay, well, spend an hour outside a day do your meditation, do your movement practice, eat really good food, be in tune and mindful and in the present moment. It's like, that's way too hard. I don't want to do all that. I just want you to give me a pill. Yes, 
<laughs> that is um, <laughs> it's crazy and also we like the, the complicated things which is right. like the basics as you're right. saying nature proper sleep proper movement proper nutrition right. proper like uh, social relations and so on like that's also a lot of things yeah so, and also the proper nutrition just i want to make this whole piece about individualized medicine or individualized process there's no like one size fits all right and so that's what intuition's really great about too like how many diets are out there in the world right oh there's this one and this one's the best and that one's the best and we learned this about this one now you should do that one and perhaps they're all fantastic but which one's right for you mm -hmm. like which one is going to support you to have the most optimal life um, and then in terms of the simplicity, it's like, oh, yeah, just go stand outside barefoot. I don't want to, why do I want, I don't want to go stand on the grass. Like, that's like the simplest nature cure there is, right? Yeah. It's, in, it's <laughs> something I would love to uh, look further into is also, uh, was it kinesiology? Kineology? Kinesiology. Kinesiology. Especially when you talked about food, because um, processed food, we, most people agree that's not so good for you. But then again, it's it's individual, and like I've I've interviewed several experts on food, and what everyone comes to is like real food, but then it's different what works for you, and also different on how you got microbiome might be, and in in kinesiology they have like where you are holding different things, and you kind of figure out what works best for you. I would love to figure out how does that match up uh, towards how real is it like what your body is needing more because that's so much easier if you could just charge food or something else and then feel about it instead of having a blood test done other things or a gut microbiome test and so on so that's do you know anyone that's in that research area i know that there have been a couple studies on that that were negative so they were trying to validate um, muscle testing and as far as I know, there haven't been any studies done on it recently. Anecdotally and personally, I've heard people talk about it, how much it supported them. I've personally done it. I find it super useful as a tool, intuitive tool. Um, is it 100% accurate? My personal experience is it's not, but it's better than nothing, if you will. And um, it's also fun to help people um, as a, I don't want to call it a game. It's not a game, but like as a practice fun thing. And I've used it with children. For example, like I'll ask my son, you know, put your arm out and we'll say, you know, say your name and his arm will be strong. And he'll say a different aim, his arm will fall, fall down. And he's like, I want this cookie you know and i'll say okay hold that and then you know his arm falls down i'm like your body's like doesn't really want this sugary chocolatey thing you know and then you try something else and it feels strong it's a fun way to um practically show people how to tap into their body's wisdom it's an interesting exercise and i think most people many of my listeners Many are very open, but I also have a lot of listeners that are more on like they want to see science and I want to see some results behind it. Um, and this exercise can seem kind of strange. I tried it myself where I was the one uh, being put up and I had to put my uh, arm out and I was mind blown. 
like because that was not just seeing someone i was actually feeling i think i had to do eight um eight um, statements or something like that there was one of them where the woman that wanted to prove it she pushed much more power but all of the other ones there was just a clear difference on when something was true or if i had to say another name my arm was weaker and so on and that that was like again some of the things like how do you prove that but can you experience it then there's definitely something that opens your curiosity to say like, okay, there's, there's something we need to figure out and then we can't just dismiss. Absolutely. I would love to do more research on that. A lot of it's just funding, you know, there's not, yeah. there's no patent on that, right? So there's no one like rising up to say, hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars to do an excellent study on validating this no. method. I mean, it's used in um, other medical fields, you know, kinesiology, um, in terms of organ points. And I mean, there's many, many different ways that it's been used. And yet, as far as I know, there haven't been a lot of rigorous studies done on it, which is a shame. Yeah, Helena, so if I had to uh, make a decision now and I had to tune into my intuition, let's say it's a decision uh, that we found a stray dog down here. We found a place that it can be sent to Canada um, so that it get taken good care of. I'm in Dominican Republic right now. Um, but my girlfriend also really wants us to take this dog home. How would I tune into my intuition to make sure we make a good decision on whether to take the home back to Denmark and a lot of travel through different countries on the way or leave the dog down here or not leave it, but get it sent to a wonderful family in Canada. Okay, great. That's a wonderful, yeah. that's a wonderful. And how do you emotionally feel about that? Do you have a lot of charge about it? So we took the, we're taking the dog in to take care of it until it can get sent away. So uh, now I'm very emotionally attached to the dog. I love dogs. Uh, my yeah. girlfriend and friends often laugh at me because when I see dogs or, uh, or small kids, I stop up and get out of the conversation because I get like um, good energy um, and get uh, drawn towards them. So uh, I, of course, have like a feeling that it'd be wonderful to have that dog. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Knowing that you're emotionally attached to it, I would invite you first to do some journaling and processing and like get all your thoughts, your fears, your hopes, write all of that down. And with the intention of clearing your mind and clearing your ego self of that emotional charge, um, and I'm not going to go into all the steps that I have in my book, but just quickly be, you know, set the intention that you will have a clear channeling session and then use whatever tools you need to get yourself into a very relaxed and still in your mind state. And then I would ask the question internally. You know, is it in my highest? And I would pick one side of that. So instead of um, you want to, the easiest way to start with channeling is to make it a yes or a no question. So is it in our highest and best to bring the dog to Denmark and, you know, say the dog's name or whatever, and then let the question go and then sit and wait. Do you, and what are you waiting for? You're waiting for a visual or a, a word that pops in your mind or feelings in your body. And the way that that'll 
show up for you is based kind of on your noetic signature and how you normally get that intuitive information. And you just wait and see. And if you're like, oh, I don't know, I was just making that all up, then you do it again. Or you might say, hey, I want three signs, three confirmations that this choice is the right one. And you trust that it will happen. Oh, that's an important point. One of the strongest predictors of these abilities is believing in them and believing that you can do them. Just believing in it allows you to do better on these tests in the laboratory, to have more of those experiences in daily life. And if you don't like the answer you're getting? Then it's probably your intuition because it's not your ego driving it. So if you don't like the answer, then it's the right answer because it's the ego saying no, or it's actually then the answer is the opposite. I didn't get that. Um, what I have found personally and, you know, from people I've connected with is if you get an intuitive hit that's not aligned with what your ego wants, it's probably your intuition giving you wisdom. Yeah. Because if it was your ego driving it, it would always be what you wanted. The answer would always be what you wanted if your ego was driving the intuition. So let's say you want to take the dog to Denmark. And so it's like, yeah, that's what I get. And you want to buy the red Porsche. Yeah, buy the red Porsche. Or you want to, you know, do like if your intuition is always 100% lined up with what your ego mind wants, you know, it's it's I don't want to say always, but it's likely your ego is is driving that, you know, if you are truly tapping into your intuition, there will be times when it's not what you want. I wanted to go on that trip. I really, really did. But it wasn't the right choice for me. No. And I'm yeah. Interesting. Helena, time is running and uh, I promise you I wouldn't take too much of your time. But where can people find out more about you and learn more about the work that you're doing? Please join us at www.noetic.org. That's our website. We have all of our peer reviewed publications, all of our current research projects that you can participate in. And please buy my book, Science of Channeling. I have tons of references in there, all of the papers, huge bibliography and practical tools if you want to explore this yourself. Great. I'll put that in the show notes so people can find it. What's the best way to contact you? Is that LinkedIn or email or Twitter or TikTok? LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me. Also research at noetic.org. Also, your audience might be interested. We have an ongoing telepathy, telephone telepathy experiment at teletele.org. You can be in an experiment to see how telepathic you are on knowing who's calling you on the telephone. Fascinating. Before rounding off, what are, are three advice, short advice you would give to listeners on how to live a happy, healthy and meaningful life? I've kind of shared a little bit about it already, but setting that intention 
if you are willing to be open to your intuitive wisdom and taking, even if it's just a few minutes a day, to be still and silent and tap into that wisdom and be loving and kind to yourself in the process. Beautiful. Helena, thank you so much for coming on this show. Thank you for, uh, for sharing the wisdom and uh, how this research is evolving and that we can learn more in your book if you want to get more of the concrete process. So if someone is sitting and listening, being like, okay, I need to learn more about it, then your book is one of the places to get more of the practice and then the research, of course, that you are conducting. Um, and for the listeners, you also did some research on the Muse, which is this uh, uh, device that actually measure your, measure your brainwave, something I would have loved to gotten into, but time ran away. But so you are doing a lot of different interesting research. Absolutely. EEG, EKG, all the physiological correlates of these consciousness and intuition we're doing as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.